Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Dale and Wayne. God bless all of you. So good to see you today here in God's house. I've already told you that, but I add my word to that for those of you that may not have heard it at first. But please fill out a visitor's card for us, put it in the offering plate, and I would really appreciate it. I'll teach you a couple of new words today. They're easy, short. Acme and nadir. Do you know those words? Acme is the high point. Zenith, the high point. The highest point one can reach on a mountain or whatever. Nadir is the low point. N-A-D-I-R. It's the low point. Well, today we're going to read the opponents of Jesus reach their acme of hatred by going to the very nadir of character, assassination and attack. So we're going to see the high and the low all in one fell swoop as the opponents of Christ continue to just find ways illegitimate ways to try to hurt him, trap him, in some way get him inside a place where they can pounce upon him and do away with him. Some people are always just looking for a reason to do bad, right? And we got them in our culture today. In fact, I read an article not too long ago, and I read it in the Augusta Chronicle newspaper about a man who had reached the acme in one particular regard, and he was in the Guinness World Book of Records. He passed away at age 88, and there was an article in the paper about it. And he was in the Guinness World Book of Records because he'd been married more than any person alive at the time. Been married 29 times. Did you hear Brother Tim say, that's a lot of mother-in-laws? I wonder why he said that. But he's right. That's a lot, a lot of stuff of every kind. 29 wives. Now, people get divorced for a lot of different reasons, but you got to wonder about a man like that. So I did a little study on him, and his son, age 33, said the reason he got married so often is because he was against living in sin. Okay. All right? And said one wife he divorced because she ate sunflower seeds in bed. Okay. Another one used his toothbrush. Well, you got to wonder, was men always looking for a reason just to get rid of somebody? Because he was maybe looking for number 30. I don't know. Well, he had reached the acme of being in the world book of records for the most marriages but honestly he had reached the nadir of character because there's no way God could smile upon that kind of lifestyle we know that's true and actually as you think about that man uh, oh by the way he died penniless (laughs) and no one claimed his body no one Not number one, not number 29, not two through 28. No one even claimed his body. So he was buried in a pauper's grave somewhere. Well, we read a sad situation even in our scripture today. But I've got to remind you as we come to John 9 verse 24 that this is a 
carrying forward of the story of last week of the man who had been born blind. Remember, we studied it. It was a powerful passage. But today we see a continuation of that same story. And we're going to see one of the most spirited individuals you will ever see. Now, I like a man with spirit. I like a woman with spirit. I like people who have a little bit of spunk to them. I've been told I might have a little myself. Uh, I told you before, I can show you and prove to you that my first grade report card said Frankie Page is shy, timid, and lacks self-confidence. First grade report, I'll show it to you. I've got it on my phone. I took a picture, didn't I, Dale? Took a picture of it. So some things can change over one's life. Maybe I'm not quite shy and timid and lacking in self-confidence anymore. And I like people with spunk. And this man had spunk. Got him in trouble, but he had spunk. And it's probably gotten you in trouble if you have spunk too. And, and has me as well. But anyway, look with me to John chapter 9, continuing our story from last week, verse 24 and following. We see a really pathetic story, kind of like the opening story that I began with. And it says in verse 24, So a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind, and they told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, and we looked at this last week, we didn't we? That's our great memory verse for last week. Once I was blind, say it out loud with me, now I can see. Now I see. And then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples, do you? Woo, he is stirring the pot. He is sticking the poker in the bear. Have you ever heard that phrase? Don't poke the bear. Well, he's poking the bear. Verse 28, they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple. But we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't even know where he's from. Look at his retort in verse 30. Someone said, scintillating repartee. That's another good phrase for you. They had a great little jousting match verbally, didn't they? This is an amazing thing, the man told them. We don't know, you don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of anyone, someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? And then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, he found him. He asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And look at this man's interesting reply. Well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Now look at verse 37. 
Now before I read it, remember liberal theologians throughout history, even in the last decades, have said Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. He never claimed to be the Messiah. That is patently false. Here again, he said, verse 37, Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said. And he worshipped him. Did Jesus stop him from worshipping him? No. He worshipped him. Jesus said, verse 39, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do not see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, We aren't blind too, are we? He knew he was, who was listening to him. If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Let's look at this text today. It's a powerful one. As the Jewish leaders now go to ridiculous extremes to try to trap our Lord Jesus through weak, unsubstantiated substantiated charges. Remember the passage from last week. Jesus had healed this man born blind. It had set the, the region on fire because no one had ever done anything like that. They called Jesus a sinner, remember? But instead of believing, back in verse 18, they began to attack the blind man and his family. And they continue that attack even in our text for today. So first of all, look with me and review the facts of this intriguing case. It's almost like a courtroom drama. And they're calling in this man to be a witness once again. They had already asked him before, but they continue to bring him in and ask him questions because they are wanting to settle this case once and for all and get rid of this bothersome Messiah figure, they thought. And so they call him in and really put him under oath. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you see where they said to him, give glory to God? That is the Jewish swearing in statement when one was brought before the court, the Sanhedrin or any other form of Jewish court. The kind of swearing in was to say, give glory to God. And that's the way they began this, by making sure he would tell the truth what do lawyers say today? We want you to tell the truth, the whole truth, and third, nothing but the truth. Listen carefully to that. We want to hear the truth. Well, you can tell the truth without telling all the truth, right? Not going to tell you all of it. The truth, the whole truth, and you can add a little to it that wasn't true. So lawyers are pretty slick. They, we might have one or two of them here today. I don't know. God bless you if we do. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So their way of saying it is give glory to God. Okay? We've established this. And now they begin to prejudice even the whole court by saying we know the man's a sinner. And if you don't say what we want you to say, we're going to kick you out. Well, the beggar's not intimidated at all. This more man born blind, he, he has got some spunk. He's got some backbone. He is not intimidated. He's not afraid to tell them what happened yet again. 
He did not debate the character of Jesus. said, hey, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know anything about it. All I know is, once I was blind, but now I see. Listen, you can argue all day long. I don't even know who did it. I don't know anything about it. He wasn't going to debate Jesus' character because he didn't know anything to debate. It was beyond his knowledge. It was beyond his experience. Many of us, including myself, often speak about things that are beyond our knowledge and beyond our experience. This guy said, hey, hey, that's beyond me. I'm not going to do it. So for the fourth time now, they ask him, how did this happen? And so in verse 26, you can sense his impatience-ness. Is that a word? He, he begins to get impatience. Impatient because they keep asking him the same thing. And I can imagine this guy. Can you imagine? This is a man born blind. Now, we know of people, I think, Dale, you're teaching a ladies Bible study, and the woman went blind like at 14 or something, did you say? Something like that. So she had an understanding of what things were like. She had an idea already. Uh, and so even as a blind person, she could remember what plants looked like, et cetera, et cetera. This man was born blind. Can you imagine coming to sight for the first time in your life as a man? You don't know what trees look like. You don't know what people look like. You don't know what anything looks like. You know how things feel. You know how things smell. You know how things taste. But you've never seen another face in your life. You don't know what your mama looks like. You don't know what your daddy looks like. You don't understand any of that. And this man is wasting his time. They're wasting his time. And I know he's just thinking, let me out of here. I got people to see. I got things to see. Let me go. You keep asking me the same thing. Do you want to be his disciple? Go be his disciple. He just has had it. He has had it. You got to admire his boldness. So in asking these irate Pharisees in verse 27, if they wanted to follow Jesus, he knew they didn't. They had already told him, we know this man's a sinner, but he is just frustrated, so he lashes out at them. Well, unable to refute anything that he said or what Jesus said, now they began to attack the witness. It's what they did. We don't know. Are you, you must be this man's disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. Well, Moses was a great leader, the giver of the law. And they said, we follow him. You must follow Jesus. Well, friends, listen carefully to me. If they had really understood Moses, as is pointed out in verse 28, they would have known who Jesus was. And they would have become believers and followers of Christ if they really understood who Moses was. And it continues in this argument they had used before. We don't know where he's from. Well, he thought, this is pretty odd. A man that can do what this man did, and you say you don't even know where he's from. Why have you not investigated him? They continued judging after the flesh based on their traditions. But listen carefully to me. Instead of investigating the miracle, they should have been investigating the one who did the miracle. And they would know everything about him if they really chose to look at all the facts. So in verses 32 and 33, we see this beggar beginning to give the experts a lesson in what one lay person called practical theology. So look at verse 22 and 23. This spunky man says, 
throughout history. No one has ever even heard of anybody receiving their sight when they had been born blind. There was some anecdotal evidence of some other persons who had, who had been able to see, went blind, and had their sight returned. But there had been no even rumor of anyone ever born blind receiving their sight. So he goes throughout and says, if this man were not from God, he would not be able to do this. So he gives them this lesson in practical theology. How then could Jesus be a sinner? My friends, religious bigots never want to face the facts. They never want to be confronted with the facts. We see it on in the political realm even today. Don't bother me with facts. I've got my opinion. Do not bother me. Well, that's the way these religious bigots were. If they had honestly considered the facts, they would have been followers of Christ. Well, they reviled this man. They said, you were born in sin. Well, who wasn't? We're all born into a sinful world. But one thing you can count on, my friends, he may have been born in sin. They were just casting that aspersion upon him, but he wouldn't die in sin because he came to a relationship with Christ, a faith. And they excommunicated him, kicked him out. But he wasn't kicked out of the kingdom of heaven. I told some of you, my brother Eddie, I've got a brother named Ed. I've got two sisters and a brother. Big Ed, you can call him. He's big. He's big. He's just big. He's taller than I am and outweighs me by probably 150 pounds. He's big. My sisters, well, I better not go there. But anyway, <laughs> I've got two sisters. One is sweet and one is not. But anyway, and I say that in front of them. I say that in front of them. But anyway, my brother Ed, <laughs> he... he uh, was 15 months my junior and uh, complained constantly of living in my shadow as most younger brothers complain. Though he was much bigger than me, I could still whip him. I say, I tell him I still can whip him to this day. I, don't, I doubt that's true, but I tell him that and you know he refutes that uh, possibility. But anyway, he went uh, uh, to the Army straight out of high school. Went to the Army four or five years, did well. But he got out and went to, into the workforce. Didn't go to college. Not everybody goes to college, right? He didn't. So, but he gets involved with a man at work who's a Mormon, Latter-day Saint. And I was in Texas. Dale and I were in Texas. And, and I started hearing that my brother was going to a Mormon church. Well, that just tore me up. It, it, it I, as we say in South Carolina, I had a spell. I mean, more than one spell. I called him, and I had a spell. We had a come to Jesus meeting over and over and over. I know Mormons can be good people, but it's a false theology. A false theology. I said, Eddie, what, what, what are you thinking? Well, no, I, I just found what I believe is the truth. I said, and he, then he got baptized into the Mormon church. I said, son, as long as you stay in that godless cult, you're slapping Jesus in the face every day of your life. Ooh, 
He said, Frank, I would never slap Jesus in the face. I said, that's what you're doing every day, boy. And I kept calling him and reminding him of that as a brother would. Well, I continued persecuting him because I love him. So he finally said, listen, I'll listen to you. So we flew him to Texas. And I said, listen, I'm going into this. I've got to drive into the seminary every day because I was teaching or taking a class. I don't remember. I did both. And I said, you're going to sit with me. I'm going to sit you down in the library. And you're, they've got books, thousands of books written by Mormons, against Mormons, every source of material you could ever imagine. You're going to read it all. He said, okay. And I'm going to give you a stack every morning. And when I come back and pick you up in the afternoon, that's what your assignment is. Well, through the week, God got a hold of my brother. And he got right with Jesus. So he went back home. I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm, I'm going to get kicked out of the Mormon church. I said, good. Proud of you, boy. <laughs> now, most people leave the Mormon church or any other church just kind of float away. He said, I'm not going to allow my name to stay on that. He said, that is not of God. I am not going to allow my name to stay in there. So I said, what happened, Eddie? He said, well, they brought me before a council of excommunication like they did this man. What happened? He said, I shared the gospel with them. And I shared chapter and verse from their doctrine where it contradicted the word of God. And he said, I just shared the gospel. I said, well, what did they do? They said, they kicked me out. Best day of my life, he said. I said, hey, I'm hallelujah and with you on that one, brother. Glad you got kicked out. Well, this man got kicked out. They thought they were assigning him to some place in purgatory or hell. He was on his way to heaven. Let me tell you something. What man can do, God can undo. And let me tell you, they cut him off, but he wasn't cut off from Christ. So second and last, let's see this man's true redemption. Oh, by the way, my big ugly brother, Ed, went back to college and got his master's degree from the seminary and developed a ministry for years to minister to people caught up in cults. How about that? Eddie Boy went on and did real good. Let's see this man's true redemption, verse 35 and 40 through 41. Let me tell you something. We're going to see it in the next chapter, but Jesus is the good shepherd, and he always cares for his children. So what happened here, look at verse 35. When Jesus heard they had thrown the man out, he found him. That's one of the most beautiful little statements. Let me tell you something. When you're at your lowest, Jesus is going to find you. It may be through a mama, a daddy. It may be through a husband, a wife. It may be through a scripture on the radio. It may be through a billboard. It may be through some friend that loves you. It somehow, Jesus is going to find you and get a word to you. When Jesus heard that they had kicked him out, he found him. I know that's not a profound verse in many people's minds, but it's profound to me. Jesus found him. Jesus found him and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The phrase, the title that Jesus had adopted for himself. The man now reaches the climax of his knowledge of who Jesus is because Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man. In other words, the Messiah. 
And the beggar believed and was saved. Not only did he trust the Savior, but he worshipped him. I've already said, here is another self-revelation of the Lord Jesus saying, I am who I said I was. And if he was not the Messiah, would he have allowed this man to worship him? Well, of course not. But he allowed him to worship him because he knew that he had come to know him as Savior. And so Jesus took an opportunity here. The Pharisees are still listening to try to see if they can find a way to corner him. And so he teaches a little short lesson here in the remainder of this passage. Oh, by the way, the man said in verse 38, I believe, Lord. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who did not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some people say, well, does that contradict John 3.16 and John 3.17? No, it does not. Listen carefully. The reason for our Lord's coming was salvation. The reason for our Lord's coming was salvation. Put that up on the board. But the result of his coming was condemnation for those who would not believe. In other words, our Lord Jesus' reply here was a paradox. Blindness would at least be an excuse. They did know what was going on. They were blinded, yes, by their self-righteousness, by their tradition, by their false interpretations. Look at verse 40. But Jesus is saying, if you were blind, at least that'd be an excuse. But you do know. I've told you what is going on. You've seen what I can do. This beggar was physically blind and spiritually blind at first. But the Pharisees had good vision physically. But they were blind spiritually. A friend of mine sends me a, every Sunday morning, a pastor friend, bivocational pastor friend down in Lawrence, sends me a little good morning devotional every Sunday morning. And it's, it's pr- always profound. And this morning, he started talking about something I didn't know anything about, Kevin. You, you might know something about it, but something about the Houston Astros. And I think that's a baseball team. I've told y'all before, I made some of you mad. I don't care for much for baseball. I, it's all right. I played it, you know, but, but watching it's like watching paint dry to me. I just, sorry, if, if, if that offends you, you just have to get over it. But anyway, the Houston Astros, somebody got in trouble for somehow stealing signals from other teams. Now, Kevin is our resident sports expert. He knows everything about sports, or says he does anyway. I don't, I don't know if he really does. Just teasing. And Tim's pretty good at it, too. But haven't teams been trying to figure out other teams' signals for 100 years? I think so. But apparently they did something more sophisticated. I don't know. But everybody always tries to find out what the other person's talking about. Jesus, in another place, said, you're always looking for a sign. You're always looking for a sign, but what you need to be looking for is a Savior. These people were blind when the Savior stood right in front of them. Now this blind beggar that received his sight and his salvation, we never see him mentioned in Scripture ever again. But you'll see him in heaven. 
You might get to spend an afternoon with him. Tell me about what it was like when Jesus gave you your sight. He'll probably just sit down and say, well, let me tell you. Sit for a spell and let me tell you about it. We never see him again. But what a testimony. What a person he was. This blind beggar made the right choice. But the cost was great. And so I conclude today by telling you, asking you first, have you made the choice of giving your life to Christ? But are you ready to pay the price? In another place we will read later on in John 16, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Have you found your life in Christ? Can you say like that blind man said last time and this time, once I was blind but now I see. And now that you see, are you willing to take a stand for Christ? Are you willing to live for him? I read somewhere or wrote or something. I think I wrote a little article some time back. Once in a while, a baby dies. It's a terrible thing, a terrible thing. And I've done the funerals for babies. And sometimes on a baby's death certificate, it says, failure to thrive. You ever heard of that? Failure to thrive. I know of a lot of Christians like that. They may have come to know Christ, but they've not thrived. For whatever reason it is in his or her life, they struggle to grow and they find themselves static where they've been for years or decades. That's not what God wants. It's not what he wants. He wants us to be able to grow to the point where we'll take a stand for Christ. Experience persecution, perhaps like this man, he got kicked out of his own synagogue. But still ready to take the stand for Christ because you're strong in him. Oh, my friends, maybe you're like that today. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. I pray that today you would. But if you have, are you thriving? Are you thriving? Can you say with honesty, I, I know I am stronger than I was at this point last year. Uh, I've grown beyond where I used to be. Things that used to I struggle with, I don't, I'm not finished with struggling, but I can say that I've reached some point of maturation where I'm thriving more than once I did. Can you say that with all honesty? Oh, I pray you can. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we come to you. We thank you for your powerful word. Thank you for what you did in the life of this young man. Thank you for his spunk, his spirit, his willingness to confront even those who could harm him because he knew what was right. Oh God, may we as men, women, boys, and girls take stands for you even this week. Doing what we know is right. Father God, we need you. And we commit this time to you. And we ask that you would take us right where we are, Lord. And take us to a better place of thriving. And we ask it in Jesus' name.